Alrighty, welcome back everyone. We're here with another Ferment podcast interview and I'm so excited to actually get what you would call a loose permit approval to come into work today and grab my uh, podcast equipment. So I'm in Studio One on my lonesome and I've called in Catherine. How are you, Catherine Brown? Hello, Andrew Harris. I'm calling in from Studio 75, <laughs> which is about four kilometres as the crow flies from Millawas. Yeah, not, not five, not five, four. No, I always say that it takes me eight minutes to get to work but I always seem to be late to work, so <laughs> maybe I need to relook at my timing. <laughs> That's it. You get a better schedule in the morning. <laughs> oh, schedules, <laughs> schedules have just gone out the window at the moment. I'm into, what have we called it, the homeschooling right now, and that's proving to be absolute nightmare with a preppy coming on at 10 o'clock for a half an hour session and then the teacher gives you about four or five activities that you've got to try and work out a time to do during the course of the day and upload like they actually check the work so you've got to upload something onto the system uh yeah it's not fun i must say so a permit to get out of the house today has been very very exciting so thank you uh thank you the ferment for allowing us to do that and I feel the only winner out of homeschooling at the moment is bottle shops. <laughs> That's it. Yes, I think they're getting a fair old smashing right now. It's a bit of a funny one. That you want you want to be trying to be healthy, but uh, homeschooling is putting some mental stress on a lot of people. Uh, certainly in the customer service wing, you're seeing that a lot. Um, there's there's a lot of banter about what's uh, going on uh, on the home homeschooling front. But anyway, we're digressing. We need to get on to our interview, and I'm so excited, KB, because we've got Marcel D'Angelo for his uh, podcast interview today, and Marcel's one of the newer employees within the business and we've done a lot of the older statesmen and the family and we thought that this episode we might get a bit of a feel for one of the newer employees into the business. So how are you today, Marcel? Good, thanks, Harry. How are you going? Uh, and good day, KB, as well. It's, uh, it's an honour and a privilege to be invited on. Long, long-time listener, first-time contributor. Uh, we'll give you that 20 <laughs> bucks later. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because um, there's a lot of talk out there about these children that were sort of born into a, a COVID life as such. You know, they have had lockdowns for their first birthday. They're about to have it for their second birthday. They haven't got to experience playing with other kids. And Marcel, essentially, you're I hope a COVID that's not, I hope that's not me you're talking about there, KB. <laughs> well, Marcel, you're, you're a COVID baby in my mind because you started with us pretty much in the lead up to this pandemic that we're dealing with now. And unfortunately, there's a majority of the Brown Family Wine Group team that haven't actually got to meet you face-to-face. Well, we were just discussing, KB. I'm not sure if you and I have actually met face-to-face yet. So it is it is coming one day down the track in the in the near future, I soon hope, but we've worked so closely together for that time period. It doesn't doesn't feel like we haven't met face-to-face yet. But, um, yeah, no, really, really interesting challenge coming on board just prior to COVID, essentially three weeks in the office and then the best part of 18 months via a screen but it speaks uh, I think volumes the culture that we've got here that I feel very much at home despite that fact and uh, really don't have anything to complain about considering now we have employees coming on board and starting and onboarding throughout lockdown so I think I might have uh, I think I might have run through the sympathy uh, votes that I've got uh, in in totality now and um, and need to need to do away with that one so but uh, no really 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 interesting challenge over the last 18 months but um really really enjoyable one all the same and the problem is the fact we haven't seen you face to face uh we haven't really been able to have a glass of wine with you either so it was very difficult to dig up dirt on you um so we're we like that, 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 that that's by design kb by the way <laughs> 
So we're hoping by having a bit of a chat to you today, you can dig up the dirt on yourself and tell us a few stories about yourself. As far as I did get in digging up dirt, what I could find out about you was that you enjoy wearing hats. I believe that you're an avid fedora wearer. I understand that you like a bit of travel and that you have spent a bit of time overseas and having great times, according to my Facebook stalking. I, I, look, I, look for, I look forward to hearing what you've dug up and I, I, have a, <laughs> I have an inkling of those members within the marketing team that you've gone to for this information, so I'm already very scared. but to kick things off we want to know a bit about where it all started can you tell us a little bit about where you you were born a bit about primary school and uh, give us a bit of a snapshot of the young Marcel cool I am originally a South Australian as anyone who has any conversation with me within the business business will know because (laughs) I'm sure you told um, me five times in the first uh, 10 minutes of our (laughs) catching up I try to I try to slip it into most conversations that I have with people. Very happy to be South Australian by, by nature, but born in a small small harbourside town called Victor Harbour in, in coastal South Australia. So to anyone who hasn't hasn't heard of or been to Victor Harbour, a beautiful part of the world, and would encourage you to Google it. But uh, it'll probably give you a lot of context about why I'm such a strange cat uh, when you when you have a look online and see where I'm actually from. A vast difference to sort of the big smoke that I find myself in now. So born in Victor Harbour, my family, uh, my folks split up when I was quite young and mum went to live in uh, the Adelaide Hills around the Handorf region and dad went over to McLarenvale to, uh, to settle down. So I was probably most probably skewed mostly to living with mum throughout that period and most of my life uh, up in Handorf and then down to McLarenvale with dad as well. So two Two very prominent and, and premium wine regions, obviously, I was very lucky enough to, to grow up in, although I didn't appreciate it too much at the time as a kid. Dad's side of the family uh, are Italian migrants, so they had uh, a strong interest in, in grape growing, um, not very successfully, I might add, but uh, as a bit of a hobby on the, on the side. So that was uh, that was really interesting, you know, compared to children growing up in, uh, in the city of Adelaide and in the Adelaide Hills, I, was, I had this sort of amazing... Um, exposure to grape growing and, and living off the land and these old traditional uh, Italian style practices. And yeah, that, that's sort of a, a, another story on the side, I guess, uh, the Italian culture and um, how that shaped me. You know, really, 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 really interesting, um, you know, different culture to, to the Australian culture. My, my nonno being from the Abruzzo region east of Rome and, and nonna being a Venetian uh, is strange. Is a little bit strange in itself uh, that a northerner and a southerner got, got along for that long as well in a marriage. <laughs> but yeah, so a slightly different upbringing to a lot of the kids in Adelaide, but I uh, really, really enjoyed it and a, a real sort of country kid, I guess, uh, in, my, in my early days. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny how how life turns out living in the big smoke of Melbourne these, these days. Marcel, I don't have a huge knowledge of the township sizes that you're talking about. So I've been to Harndorf and it looks pretty small and Victor Harbour yep. I don't think I have been to. So what sort of populations are we talking about? Oh, small, Harry. I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't know the number that's that small. Yeah, Harndorf's one, one little main street. Um, Beerenberg, the, the well-known fruit growers and, and spreads and producers up there they, they've got sort of their strawberry farm up the road and then at the other end of the road there's this gin distillery that's become quite well known um, and a couple of german pubs in between and that's about it so um, very very small little town only 45 minutes from uh, the center of the cbd of adelaide that's the, the one sort of i guess silver lining about adelaide is how close everything is but 
Yeah, very small and Victor Harbour, the same really. There's a couple of surf beaches there. There's a very, very well-known bakery down there and, and one pub and I think that's, that's about it. So very small regions of the, of the world. Good for pretzels, I believe. Great pretzels. Very, I mean, Handorf itself being a, a German settled town. So uh, yeah, any, anything about the German culture, you'll, uh, you'll dig, dig up in Handorf. It's a great place to visit, but very, you know, it's extremely uh, tourist orientated and a very strange niche place to go off as well. And did you have siblings? I do. I have so I have one younger sister. She's twenty two now, who's, which is extremely scary. I must be getting starting to get on a bit in life. But yeah, grew up grew up with the, the one sister, and then I also have four stepsisters from my dad's second marriage. So five sisters all up throughout my my childhood, which is uh, obviously a, a pretty interesting challenge in itself, but uh, a really enjoyable one. But learnt a lot of lessons uh, early in life as a boy. That's for sure. They kept me honest. Hey. <laughs> and I imagine life would have been pretty competitive with all the girls around. Are you a natural sport sort of person? Yeah, when I wasn't getting my makeup done from the five sisters that I had KB, I was uh, I was pretty interested in sport. I was always a soccer player from being quite young. I was a small little scrawny kid, so footy footy would have been detrimental to my health, I think, growing up. But uh, yeah, played played a lot of soccer. I played sort of state championship soccer when I was a kid. Peaked. Fair to say, very, very early in life in my, my, my career and all downhill from about 16, 17. But yeah, played, played a lot of soccer, started to play a few years of footy when I was, uh, when I was a little bit older into my, uh, into my late teens, which I really enjoyed. Tried cricket, wasn't great at that, but really enjoyed the sport. Tried basketball until the rest of the kids outgrew me. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of sports growing up and, um, anyone, you know, South Australia as, as, as is Victoria, an extremely sport oriented state. So really awesome. So from secondary school, you got through that, and then did you head off to tertiary studies in Adelaide? Yeah, so it might surprise you to hear I passed secondary school, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't super attentive in secondary school. I always thought as a kid that I was going to join the army, don't ask me why. I guess growing up with you know farming and, and traditional Italian sort of family, I decided that I wanted, to, as, as you do when you're a kid, whatever your family's doing is uncool. So I wanted to go as far away from that as possible. So, uh, yeah, and it's, it's a shame looking back that I didn't take more of an interest in that side of things because now being so involved in wine, I speak to uh, so many of my friends that also had that upbringing with a, with a wine-orientated family and had some amazing chats that we could have had a lot earlier in life. But, yeah, at the time, I thought, uh, you know, this is this is obviously uncool. I want to travel. I want to get out of here and, uh, and experience the world. So I always thought that I would uh, join the, the Defence Force and go and travel. I got in straight out of school and, and put it on hold for a year, as you can do with the Defence Force, and thought I'll take a year off and just work at the local supermarket and, and have a year off first. And then never ended up going back to it. I ended up um, picking up marketing at, at uni. I'm not really sure why I, I went into marketing at uni. I think, once again, probably in my mind subconsciously, as far from uh, working on the land as you could possibly get is working in business. And then, look how that ended up. Up, up I've ended up back in wine. So really, really interesting turn of events. But went to the University of South Australia, did a business degree, majored in marketing, went over and did an exchange in the UK while I was at uni, which was great. So I spent about a year living in, in the UK and yeah, really, really, really enjoyed it. Some of the best years of my life um, at university for sure. Where were you based in the UK? Yeah, I lived in uh, I lived in Birmingham in the UK, Harry, of all places. For anyone who's watched Peaky Blinders recently, that's pretty much what it looks like to this day as well in Birmingham. So very industrial sort of town, but a really, really cool, trendy vibe, very artistic, um, really insane music over there. So um, loved it, mate. Probably an hour's train ride out of London. So I spent a lot of time in London, crossed the border into, into France quite often and 
just explored Europe for that year. So really, really happy that I did it, obviously. We're um, not sure when it might be possible to do again at the, at the moment. Absolutely. So you've talked a bit about doing some work in the local supermarket. Yep. Is that your first job and where did you move on from there? Well, my first job, technically, I guess you could say, was working on the, the vines for my family. So I worked in, in vintages on their, their little hobby vineyard that they had, a couple of acres. Yeah, worked on forklifts and tractors from a young age, probably considered uh, extreme child labour to this day. But uh, that's, that's the Italian way, is get them working working hard early. So, yeah, worked in the, worked in the grapes was, was probably my first experience of work. But, you know, when you, when you start to go off to, um, to high school and stuff and everyone's got their, their regular part-time jobs or casual jobs, so I um, went and worked at Woolies for the first five years of my employment career in all sorts of departments. But I was a checkout, checkout boy, uh, checkout chick, I guess, for the, for the first couple of years and then moved over to merchandising. That was probably where I found the most interesting a part-time retail sort of perspective was was merchandising and setting up point, point of sale and working with sales reps, which uh, fed into that sort of wider interest in marketing as well. Love that. You know, great exposure to, to work in the first place, my first job. And then ended up going from, from there into some more cellar door work and hospitality side work, which we, you know, found quickly that I enjoyed um, a lot more than retail specifically. But yeah. That was that was my first job with Fully Served Market. It's an interesting one. The big employers like a Woolworths or a McDonald's, we see a lot of people that we've interviewed that have started in places like this. And generally the ones that are looking to pursue a career can actually get something really exciting out of these bigger places and, and find ways to, to get new and interesting avenues through the through the businesses. And they have that opportunity if you're willing to explore them. And you know, you are, you've obviously done that. How long were you there? How long were you in the supermarket job? And then where did you go to from there? You're absolutely right, mate. The, um, I think some of the pathways that these businesses offer is, is brilliant. I know quite a few people still working in retail management that are uh, on very surprisingly good coin, to be honest, as well. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's not the worst thing that you can do staying in retail management, that's for sure. Um, but no, I really, really enjoyed that. I was at Woolies for five years all up. So finally, you know, as, as such a small town, when I go back to the Adelaide Hills to visit family over Christmas and that sort of thing. Most of the people still working in that store I still know and used to work with, so nice to drop in back there. But five years all up, and then that culminated in me heading off to Europe, exploring Europe for the last year of my uni degree when I when I left. Yeah, that was the so that was the end of my uh, retail journey from there. And I guess when I came back, I'd uh, I'd reengaged a little bit in the hospitality and the, my interest in wine. As you travel through Europe and particularly France and Italy, you realise how interesting the, the world of wine is and I really re-engaged in that passion and by then I was really keen to work in Publand and a couple of cellar doors up in the Adelaide Hills and start to immerse myself back in the wine world. So that's where it all sort of took a turn back to having a really keen interest and passion in wine from there. There's no confidentiality here, so is there any names that you want to throw at us, some of the cellar doors that you might have worked at? Uh, I worked at Bird in Hand for a short space of time, so really, uh, obviously really famous and, and really premium winery up in Adelaide Hills, so that was about 10 minutes from, uh, from my folks' place in the, in the hills, which was great. Awesome cellar door, awesome restaurant over there, and for a, a smaller producer in around sort of copper forest area towards McLaren Vale called John O'Hersey. Yeah, I sort of got the taste of, I guess, the, the more wider scale winery in, in Bird in Hand and a very small producer as well, but um, loved, loved my cellar door work, mate. I still... Still do when I get up from Miller, I'm always bugging uh, Ernie to see if I can jump behind the cellar door to sell a few bottles of wine. Really enjoyable side of the job. 
not right now, but I tell you what, between the lockdowns, the guys were screaming out for some people to help them out. So they would would have been very happy to have you come on board and give them a hand during that time. It's a shame it takes me three hours to get there, mate. Otherwise, I'd be in behind the cellar door uh, a lot more, I think. Oh, that's that's like a normal Sydney person commute, isn't it? Three hours. <laughs> and, if, they set up sort of a, if they set up a direct train line to, uh, to Miller, I might not be on it every second day working for Ernie and Cellador, I reckon. The fast train. I do still have a, I, I do still have a forklift license as well, which no one's uh, uncovered yet. But um, yeah, there's, a few, there's a few sort of side jobs that I could potentially be doing as things start to open up as well. I can actually see that there's a connection between the Italian heritage and the love of telling a story equals a great person in Salador. I'll, uh, I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> I, I haven't spent enough time in there, but would absolutely love to um, at some point get Miller more often. Obviously, it's a huge, huge incentive originally for applying for the job as well. So really, really keen over the next period of time to spend more time in Miller and get to know the, the guest services team and all the wider business in, in Miller as well and, and spend some more time up there. So for sure. Now, Marcel, you've mentioned that you spent a bit of time overseas and we'll probably delve into a few of the stories about that a little bit later on in the podcast, but tell us about coming back and moving to Melbourne. Were you working in pubs and so on in Melbourne or did you just go straight into applying for roles in marketing after your studies? Yeah, so I finished up with uni soon after returning. So that was my last year of uni that I spent pretty much most of the time overseas. Came back, uh, I guess you have that, that call to make, whether you're going to stick around in uh, in small log South Australia and wait for a grad job to come up or whether you're going to take some initiative and, and move over to the eastern states in terms of getting uh, a foot in the door a little bit quicker. I actually didn't come directly to Melbourne. I went uh, I went through Albury with Donga, believe it or not. I lived, uh, lived there for about eight months before moving down to Melbourne. So my first grad role was actually at the uh, the SSNA club in in Albury as a as a marketing coordinator. So that was essentially the the first marketing job that I got an interview for and um, and took it. So moved in sort of three days notice from Adelaide to up to Albury. So um had never been there before, never seen any part of the northeast of Victoria or or New South Wales. So amazing sort of turnaround and landed in Albury and thought, what have I got myself into here? But <laughs> Yeah, rocked up to rocked up at the SSNA and, and worked there for eight months as a as a marketing coordinator. So that was a, that was a great job, mate. It was it had the it scratched the itch in terms of hospitality, but it, it started to in an in an introductory form get my foot in the door with marketing as well. Introduced me to the Brown Brothers brand, obviously being in the northeast and just over the border. So yeah, it's funny how things work. But uh, that was my first job, and then moved down to to Melbourne from there. After that eight months I spent in Albury, I worked for a brand called Patons, which is a small confectionery and Australian produce manufacturer. But what they do really well is nuts. So uh, they specialised in in macadamias, pistachios, cashews, or every nut under the sun that you can think of and valuating them so turning them into you know your nut milks your nut spreads cosmetics but also confectionery so i think there's a i think you might have a question for me on that specifically <laughs> harry uh, later in the run sheet but that was my next job and that's how sort of i landed in, in melbourne from there was um, sort of a couple of i guess you can call them ladder companies but really really awesome jobs and awesome exposure on the way to get to um a company that i'm, I'm really loving working for now brand family wine group You've mentioned about finding out or learning a little bit more about Brown Family Wine Group and Brown Brothers in particular with your time in, in Albury. I'd like to find out what inspired you to apply for a role for us um, here at Brown Family Wine Group, but also what your thoughts of Brown Brothers as a brand were before you applied for the role. It's a good question. 
my first exposure to Brown Brothers was everyone at the club being quite, you know, having this passion for this brand that I hadn't heard of. Obviously, had only ever sort of consumed some some European labels, but mainly South Australian wines, as as you do where you grow up and where you're from. You sort of stick pretty safely to to that terrier. Um, so I didn't know a whole lot about Victorian producers, but could tell really early that this was a brand that had these passionate sort of loyalist followers behind it that only ever ordered Brown Brothers. So that that encouraged me sort of to do a little bit of research on the brand. And then obviously you've got what should be world famous, the one or a walkabout up in that area, of, uh, up in that part of the world, which is a, an awesome event and, and was lucky enough to, to visit Brown Brothers a few times. And yeah, it probably, it surprised me a little bit from the brand that I was interacting with or seeing people interact with at the club versus, you know, when you get on site and it's got this prestige and this, this long-standing history about it. So it intrigued me definitely to, to learn more about the brand. And yeah, I guess that, I guess that's what inspired me when the job came up. I didn't, I didn't ever make the connection before then from a consumer facing side of things about Brown Family Wine Group and the other brands that were owned. But I knew Brown Brothers really well by then and had sampled a few, a few wines in the portfolio. So when the job came up, you know, I'd, I'd gotten to the point in life by that stage that I knew I wanted to work in wine and was doing a lot of research and a lot of self-training, I guess, in wine and, and had garnered that passion back up. That role that I, I mentioned at Payton, the prior role uh, in FMCG that I was working prior to Brown Family Wine Group, was also a family-owned business. It had been the first time that I worked for a family-owned business and a really interesting and new culture that I was uh, exposed to through through Payton. And it intrigued me and, and made me really interested in that notion of sort of family-owned and family ownership. And specifically, I think, when I did a bit more research on Brown Family Wine Group once that job came up, the intrigue that was there was how scalable the culture of a family-owned business is and how family ownership would translate to a business of this size. So I think that's something that really intrigued me and I wanted to know more and I've, I've been really pleasantly surprised. I think, you know, I'm still quite green and young in terms of my, my career, but I think uh, I, it has to be a real rarity, you know, the the level of family ownership culture that we have at this business for something of this size and scale and scale. So that's that's something that's really pleasantly surprising. I think something that intrigued me and, and, and made drew, drew me in a little bit and made me want to wanted to know more. I still love the stat, Harry, that you that you started at Brown Brothers when I was born. <laughs> is it ninety five that you kicked your career off at Brown Brothers? Ninety five, yep. Yep. <laughs> we, I don't we, mind we, that stat. Now Marcel, rewind back to early twenty twenty. Uh, you joined the business and started looking after the dry portfolio. Feels like a long time ago. Start of twenty twenty, doesn't it? Does. Can you tell us a little bit about that and then tell us about what you're up to at the moment? So I originally came on board as a assistant brand manager uh, in the brand team and took on the dry portfolio, which was itself a big task, I guess, for an assistant brand manager and, and quite an entry-level, I guess, brand management role to have um, ownership over a, a portfolio like that, which is uh, one of the just amazing, I think, opportunities that this company gives quite young marketers the, the opportunity to take on their own portfolio and, and really own own the space like that and to, and to implement change. So yeah, I, I really loved I really loved the the ABM role and the and the dry portfolio ownership itself. So worked on ranges like eighteen eighty nine, which we've now obviously transitioned over to the Origin series really excitingly. Winemaker series was, was a great one that we were sort of getting off the ground when I first came on board. This idea of, you know, having a, a scalable yet very small batch communication platform like that that we could uh, put new and in, new and exciting initiatives into in that sort of format of label. 
yeah, 18, 8, and 9, obviously we've had our challenges with uh, the loss of some distribution, but I think we're, we're really on track now with uh, with the new Origins format and um, the customer sort of sessions that we've had and introductions have been really, really positive in terms of, wow, that's, that's something different in the traditional, in quite a traditional category. So those are the two main ones that I worked on. Um, the Refreshing the Light project's another one that uh, I think is a really exciting place and there's a lot of incremental room for growth uh, in that range too. That broader, I guess, holistic idea of, of lesser alcohol in market, which it's no news to anyone growing off the charts that that space. So those are the those are the main three. Um, so really exciting projects, all of them, and very very different elements to the portfolio. But just to have ownership over a, a portfolio of that size as, as an ABM, I think, was an awesome opportunity. In terms of what I'm doing now, I've moved over to Sparkling now, so still on the Brown Brothers brand, but looking after the Prosecco um, portfolio which is a completely different kettle of fish, obviously. It's a, it's a massive safety market. Everyone knows about it. It's got that cut through and that, you know, that brand salience that we're really, really known for. So really exciting to take on some huge scale projects in, in that space. And um, as, we, as we touched on in conference a few weeks ago, some really awesome plans over the next 12 months as well. As part of your sparkling portfolio that you've taken on, Marcel, a really exciting project is the ultra-low Prosecco. Can you tell us a little bit about what's coming up for that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the one of the most exciting projects that we've got, I reckon, across the whole portfolio at the moment, but I might be a little bit biased, but the, the Prosecco Ultra-Low, obviously a 0.5% ABV version of our Prosecco NV. So we look, we structure it as Australia's, well, we introduce it as Australia's new favourite ultra-low alcohol. And, you know, coming from the market leader, obviously, in Prosecco in Australia. So it's such a such an exciting piece to, to work on. It'll be launching through our online channels actually from the start of next month, so next week, which has snuck up on us very fast. But uh, I think we're in a really good space. It'll also be available in Richie's stores throughout September as well and then flooding into the wider market from November through the Indies channels. So, yeah, it is, you know, it is what it is. It's a 0.5% ABV Prosecco. We know that there's this really key challenge in market about more Aussies reducing their alcohol consumption. And on a, I guess, more broad lens, just being more increasingly mindful of what they're consuming across all categories. But that's definitely being replicated in wine as well. And yeah, it, it gave us the basis for doing a lot of research and, and unearth, I guess, that really key opportunity that we can provide more better for you options in the sparkling wine category, which there's never really been the, the consumer need for or perceived consumer need before. So yeah, I, when we talk about, you know, low and no alcohol, I guess that main barrier to entry for people is they think it's going to taste like crap, right? And, and, and a lot of people do think that. And a lot of people are right. There's a lot of wine producers putting Zero percent alcohol, zero percent alcohol products out to market that, that that just don't stack up in taste and quality, and it turns people off the category a little bit, which we really want to resurrect and, and and counteract. And that's what we're most excited about in this project is how how well this wine stacks up. If you could personify biking into a Granny Smith apple, this wine gives you pretty much that experience in a bottle. So uh, we're we're really really excited about the really classic prosecco cues that come through. I actually had a glass today. And I'm so proud. What do you think, Kelly? I'm so proud of what our winemaking team have done and so proud of what everyone has done, including yourself as the brand manager, because it's an absolutely beautiful wine to drink and it has all the full flavour of Prosecco. And also, as the bottle looks, you'll happily put that on a table around your friends and it doesn't scream out to you that this is 
uh, a low alcohol wine. It, it tells you that I'm a high quality wine, and it's exactly what that is. Yeah. I'm really interested in OKB being sort of in the, the stage of life you're in at the moment as well. Have you found yourself searching for more of those lower in alcohol and, and no alcohol options in market? And, and what are you finding out there? What are you seeing as well? It's always interesting to hear from other people. I think Andrew will probably agree with me. The more children you have, the higher alcohol you actually need. That's <laughs> 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 um, so you're totally right. Like being so passionate about wine and loving a glass of wine, going through the stages of pregnancy, breastfeeding, having children, having responsibilities, it totally fits in with that idea that you can have a glass of wine, you can still do everything you need to do in your day, but you still get that, that nice pleasure. And I see it totally working for the summer months when you're down at the beach, you want to be out on the boat with the kids or you want to be, you know, driving between you know, the beach and the house and, you know, doing all these activities, but you do really enjoy a glass of wine that, between, totally between the beach and the house, Harry, it must be nice. It must be nice. <laughs> you can tell that I'm dreaming of a life that we don't have right now. Like, <laughs> like, at the moment, we're driving. Like I feel that I actually like get excited to go to the post office because it means that I get in the car to go somewhere. Oh, me too. Me too. I was just saying. Uh, <laughs> I was just saying before we jumped on. I think there was there was notion last week that they were going to close down takeaway coffee shops in there. Uh, in Melbourne, I reckon that would have just about been the end of me because that's my that's my favourite part of the day at the moment is, uh, is is leaving the house for the coffee shop run. So yeah, it's amazing that the small trips in the day that you really look forward to at the moment. I saw someone on um, social media complaining about Australia Post leaving like little slips on your doorstep saying you've got a parcel at the post office, and they're like, "Why don't you just deliver it?" And I was like, "No, don't deliver the parcel. This is my outing." <laughs> <laughs> no, that is. That, I'm glad you. I'm glad you've gone there, Kobe, because that is my pet peeve in life: is those little blue slips. Um, <laughs> and and really enjoy some of the internet. Uh, <laughs> some of the internet response to those blue slips. So yeah, it can be can be uh, can be a race to the door to meet the Australia Post deliveries to driver sometimes. I think. <laughs> but geez, they, they get on my they get on my nerves. Those little blue slips. I have I have nightmares about them. The world we live in in 2021, like things that used to like really aggravate us for things like, you know, traffic or, you know, someone leaving an empty can of tuna in the, like the staff room kitchen or something like that. Now oh, it's just a drag I, I think I'm that person with the tuna, to be honest. So that never annoys me too much. <laughs> That was an official apology for all of those tuna haters out there. <laughs> it's my <myself. Right. laughs> I don't, I don't think I don't think sorry was in there, Harry. But uh, <laughs> maybe yeah, Fran actually like, needs to start putting that that in job interviews. It's like, so do you enjoy canned tuna for lunch? Oh, actually, exactly you right. do. Sorry, you're not welcome. <laughs> actually, the whole the whole concept of interviewing for jobs will be really interesting uh, as a result of this time period. I think you know everyone's become so comfortable around each other. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. And I, I can't imagine sort of interviewing for a job for the first time through a screen either, having not done that before. So, yeah, I think I think the whole interview, the whole interview space and, and just, just work in general and I guess the veil that's been, been lifted a little bit in terms of professionalism, it'll be really interesting to see over the next year as well. I was thinking about this the other day because previous to this whole situation, and probably not in our business, but in sort of more formal businesses, like it was not, it was seen as sort of a bit of a weakness if you started talking about your home life and those sort of things in a business setting. But yep. now we're so used to like being on a meeting and like a kid runs across the screen and then a dog jumps in and like in the first little while people were like, oh, I'm so sorry. But now like it's like, oh, here's my kid. 
puts the kid on the knees, like the kid starts playing with the computer as like the meeting still goes on and then the dog comes and jumps in and everyone's like, oh, this is so fun. And it's in, in a great way, it has made everyone that less formal about business and we do get to see the other side of our colleagues in For their sure. home setting. I, uh, I comfortably think I can take the tag of the person with the worst home Wi-Fi connection in the entire business now, which I'm very proud to, very, very proud to hold that title as well. So. <laughs> That's it. You, you don't have kids to interrupt your meeting. You have your Wi-Fi <laughs> network. No, well, you've got to have something. you got to have something, don't you? That's it. Something to <laughs> no, I, I don't have, don't have, I don't have any, mate, I don't have any pets. I don't have any kids. So it's got a bit of Wi-Fi on my end. <laughs> All right, guys, we better keep things rolling along here. Now, we've, we've covered off a bit of the work stuff. So what about outside of work, Marcel? What's important to you? Great question. You know, being in a state that I wasn't sort of, I didn't grow up in, the mates that I've made over here and, and hanging out with, with mates, they're almost my, my family away from home in a, in a way. You know, my, my whole family's back back in South Australia. So, you know, obviously family goes without saying. And, and this, this time period has really brought us in a funny way probably closer together than we've ever been because we really make sure we, we, put, we set aside the time in the week to chat to each other over, over FaceTime and do sort of almost, almost team activities as well through the, with the family, which sometimes is the last thing I feel like doing after an entire week on, on Microsoft Teams. But yeah, you suck up and say it's great to see the family. So family, friends over here. I'm a big surfer, so I love getting down the coast as much as I can and getting out of the city a little bit on the weekends. So I spend a lot of my time, my free time down in, uh, down in Torquay, surfing a little bit on that's a little bit down there. I'm yet to check out the uh, the wave pool that we've got over in Tullamarine, but Mr. Mr. Matt James has uh, has told me that I've got to get over there quick smart. So that's certainly on the list. And then yeah, just just exploring. I think a great part of, of living somewhere that you're not from is you've got sort of it's endless uh, endless time and endless areas to to continue to explore. So. I am a, a bit of a I am a bit of a Melbourne nasty. I love exploring the different cafes and cultural parts of Melbourne. That uh, I guess someone that grew up here takes a little bit for granted. But the rest of the time, it's all getting back to nature and uh, road trips. I uh, think down the beach, non-stop in summer, and yeah, a little bit of a little bit of an outdoorsy type. Harry. And uh, you mentioned about your family back in SA. What about here in Melbourne? Have you got a wife, partner, any children, any pets? No, no, and no, Harry, at this stage. Uh, so a bachelor at the moment, which, you know, dating in the middle of COVID is obviously another challenge and probably a conversation <laughs> for another day. But, um, no, oh, Mike, no. you just pricked up. Tell me about Tinder during COVID. <laughs> no comment. No comment on that one, KB. Nah. No, the, the answer, Marcel, is what's Tinder? <laughs> okay. Now, Marcel, we've done a bit of digging and I have a few questions I need to ask you. One of your colleagues is asking why you haven't come through to the party on your promise in your interview for Brown Family Wine Group to supply copious amounts of the nuts that you've already mentioned in one of your previous jobs. <laughs> I, I know exactly who you've gone to now to uh, to dig up a few of these these questions. Yeah, really infamous story. I've essentially purchased my way in through my second interview with Mr. with Mr. Emmett Brown with uh, some salted caramel chocolate coated macadamia. So yeah, that's that's the infamous story of how I essentially landed the job. I think. <laughs> and yep, yeah, I, I totally will, will cop that one uh, on the chin. They haven't seen any snacks uh, from my end since. So definitely something that's in the personal development pipeline and that I need to work on. 
Oh, I think so. And and look, I mean, you've got a pretty avid swapping bargaining chip with wine bottles, I hope, with this, you know, and it's a family-owned company. We'd be very happy to do some sort of taste testing when we're all in the same room just to make sure that they're at the quality level that you've advertised that they are. Maybe, maybe there's an opportunity for some wine infusion through that chocolate, Harry, as well while we're talking about it. So maybe it's an MPD pipeline at the same time. This is why you're in the marketing team, Marcel. I love it. <laughs> Let's get it up and running. No, uh, I've made. I've written it down. That's a bit of personal development for me, and feedback to as well. So we'll, we'll get more. We'll get more chocolate coated macadamias into the business. I promise. If that question's given away who the person I chatted to was, this might also give it away. But uh, can you tell us about the time you purchased away seat tickets at a Manchester United and West Ham game? So when I first got over, a huge soccer fan, huge, as I alluded to earlier, huge Manchester United fan. And it was it was a bucket list to go to Old Trafford and, and watch Manchester United. I guess being sheltered in a way in the, uh, in the Australian sporting globe where we don't literally beat the crap out of each other if we're on different teams. I'd never seen that level of competitiveness that they have in Europe and, uh, and, in, and in England especially. And yeah, completely naive, purchased sort of the first tickets that popped up uh, on screen. I think I paid about 70 pound each for, for these tickets not even good seats so they they absolutely absolute raw but uh, one of the best things i've ever done going to the old traffic for the first time but yeah approached the approached the ground and realized we were being steered sort of in the in the wrong direction here um i just total total travel enough here gone and purchased all of the manchester united gear from the, the store shop there so it was all brand new still had the tags on it so it looked, uh, looks like a total dweeb and yeah, ended up uh, my, my mate and I that, I that I went along with sitting directly in the middle of, uh, of the West Ham supporters in the away end at Old Trafford. So yeah, for anyone who's been to a, a soccer game over in England and a large scale soccer game, there's sort of police escorts to keep the, uh, the, the travelling fans away from the home fans. But uh, yeah, we sort of had to put up with quite a barrage of, of verbal assault throughout the game in the away end. But yeah, glad to say got away, got away alive out of that one. So lesson learned for the next time. The, thing, the, and, the, things you, the things you do when you're travelling, Harry, you wouldn't know. And to uh, stick on the travel stories, I would like to hear more about a gladiator outfit. As you've probably been told, Brown Family Wine Group team do like some dress-ups, so uh, we are very excited to hear that this may be the case for you as well. Yeah, it turns out um, you do need to be careful with the local laws when you are um, dressing up, though, because... Uh, so we were on one of these these walkabouts that they do through the streets of Rome, and once again, the things the stupid thing to do when you're young in Europe. But uh, had lost a bet the night before and decided to dress up as uh, sort of Roman gladiators with not a whole lot on other than the the plastic sort of armour that we bought for the day, and got sort of halfway through it, and then uh, almost uh, very nearly got arrested for uh, for being in sort of the um, the main courtyard of Rome, of the middle of Rome there on a sweltering forty degree day with not much on other than a plastic. Uh, Gladiator outfit. So a lesson for anyone heading over to, to Rome is to just check the uh, just check the laws about public public nudity before you uh, decide to dress up and, and anything like that. No letting out the Italian sausage in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that far. We were, we were covered up in that in, in that way. <laughs> I just don't know if I can keep that in there, but it's bloody hilarious. <laughs> 
Oh, God, that was so good. Yeah, right. Oh, God, can someone let me be social again? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need we need, we need, need to re-establish some boundaries. <laughs> now, Marcel, just given these, uh, given these uh, stories that have come through, I can't imagine that you don't have any other gems that you could share with our listeners on the ferment. Yeah, yeah, no, I've got a few. Look, we'll leave it at that in terms of the crude one. But uh, I do have, I have been lucky enough to do some, some really great trips for, for someone sort of at my age. I still consider myself very lucky to have done. One really, really great moment, I think, was uh, my first trip to Fiji. Uh, Fiji is one of the most amazing countries in the world. But um, for anyone who's been there, you get, to, you get onto these little islands that have got sort of four or five-star resorts on them with, uh, with a lot of Westerners. And they're quite often uh, manned and, and staffed by, you know, members of the traditional villages that are around the other side of the island. Yeah, if you're outgoing enough, you can sort of befriend a few of these local Fijians from the traditional villages and they'll take you through there and, and show you the way that they live, which is just eye-opening and, and really, really amazing and humbling how, how sort of basic their, their life is, but so happy, you know, happiest people in the world that you'll see. We had a night sort of uh, hanging out with a few of the, the Fijians on one of these resort islands and the Rugby World Cup happened to be on at the time and they they, had, they pulled out this projector that they'd obviously, I reckon they'd nicked from one of the resorts for a broom closet or something and set up um, and ran a sheet, a dirty old sheet across two palm trees, two coconut palm trees and yeah, live streamed the, the Rugby World Cup for the, the Aussies playing New Zealand and we were sitting down on the beach drinking this car that they drink over in Fiji and having a great old time and it was one of those uh, surreal moments that you just look up at the the sort of Fijian, uh, Fijian sunset, watching the World Cup with locals, and uh, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing moment. That so that, that's probably the best story I've got. Not seeing the Northern Lights in uh, in Iceland was the other one I've got. I had some mates that were spending a week there trying to find them, and I got over on a cheap Ryanair flight from England and, and saw it the first night that I was in Iceland. So um, that was that's another great one. That would be amazing. I'm, I'm jotting down all the the dream places to travel when we're free again. <laughs> Those two should be high on your list. Now, down to the nitty-gritty. These are the questions that we ask everyone that come on to the ferment. Sure. Uh, can you tell us about the first wine you remember trying? The first wine I remember trying uh, was actually my family's little local uh, Pinot Noir that they did from our hobby uh, hobby vineyards. So, um, yeah, that's probably the, the high-level nostalgia that I've got with the with the wine industry, is that first sip of, um, of family-generated you know, and family-grown grown wine. So that's what made me for them fall in love with it. In terms of commercial wine, the very first one that I tasted was Bird in Hand's Pinot Rosé, I believe, uh, the early, early version of that that they released. So starting out on the rosé, which is a little bit rare. Now that you have such a fantastic portfolio to drink across, what is your favourite? Ooh, favourite. So a favourite within our portfolio, I'd probably say Resolution Riesling would be up there. I love the I love the Brown Brothers Fiano. Anyone who talks to me knows I'm a big Fiano nuffy, but love love that and really excited for the new release of it coming up. And the Temp Graffiano that we've got in the portfolio, I think, is a really fantastic table wine as well, and uh, and great with a roast. So those are my three favourites. It's hard to cut it down. I'd say Ibiza is really stiff enough to be in there as well. I oh, know it's like choosing between children. It's difficult. I know. Uh, and what wine would you drink that's not in our portfolio? My uncle was actually marketing manager for Coriol for about 20 years, so a long space of time. So I grew up uh, on, on Coriol wine allowance uh, within the family as well, which was fantastic. Because yeah, Sangiovese is really, really high up there in terms of one of my favourite wines. Uh, some, some smaller producers from over that side of the border, Unico Zello, I do love their uh, their River Sand, uh, Fiano as well. And Vintelope is another small producer that I really enjoy. Their wines, they do some good things in the Chardonnay recent space. It's 
especially. In terms of Victorian ones, Yabby Lake is probably a little bit of a nostalgic one that I first, when I first came over. That was one of the early ones that I picked up and tried. So really love some of, some of their stuff uh, in that portfolio. Yeah, other than that, um, all, brown, all brown family wine groups, of course. Now, Marcel, what are you most grateful for this week? I think um, we don't want to go too deep, but I think watching some of the scenes from uh, from Afghanistan at the moment in the news is a, is a real leveller at the moment. Um, and, yeah, really, really tough viewing and something that I find uh, puts a lot of things in perspective for me and makes me realise that, uh, you know, we've, we're doing okay over here. We might be a little bit uncomfortable in terms of being locked down, but there's a lot of small things that we can be really, really grateful for, like being out of a stroll around the streets, go and get a coffee, um, not fear for our, our well-being and safety in, in that manner. So I think it's, I think it's just, just the small things, being able to wake up, um, not in that sort of level of fear, being able to go and get a coffee and, yeah, really feeling for those people um, over in Afghanistan. It's really tough viewing at the moment. Mine is definitely not that deep. We were both involved in something yesterday afternoon which gave me a lot of joy and fun and it was a team-building amazing race virtually and um, some of the photos and so on that came out of that were just absolutely hilarious. Uh, I might throw a couple of on our... Can you let the listeners know which team took that out for the win, by the way, Harry, while we're on air? Uh, look, all I'll say is it wasn't my team, Marcel, but I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing by the gloating that the team leader – were you the team leader as well? Uh, I was, mate. Uh, led the team to a solid victory. I, I contributed absolutely nothing on the day, but I got the win. Smashed. So really, really, really happy with the team, yes. Yeah, I, I, sure. can't, I don't believe that. You, you you did a wicked impression of Jerry Maguire. That's about it, mate. Even a broken clock gets it right twice a day. As they say. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are you most looking forward to over the next six to 12 months? Six to 12 months? Wow. I think just uh, just these couple of, you know, I think obviously getting out of lockdown in the short term and getting everyone together in the team and, and having a drink, which we're having. So it was like too, too long between drinks at the moment. Obviously, getting back up to Miller would be fantastic. And then, you know, outside work, getting back to see my family as, as soon as I possibly can. It's been quite a while since I've seen them. And, yeah, obviously heading back into the summer at some point as well and getting down to the beach. So there's a few things, I think, to be really optimistic and excited for over the next, uh, next six months for sure. Yeah, definitely. All right, Marcel, that has been so much fun. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. And I also need to do a quick shout out to Ellie Vince, who recommended you for an interview. And I tell you what, it's, it hasn't disappointed at all. It's been a load of laughs and lots of fun. And hopefully our listeners get something out of it. Now, Marcel, you know, we better put it to you. Who would be your top pick for an interview on The Ferment? Good question. Now, I took into account who I think would not enjoy this the most to stitch him up. I reckon Mr. Cam Miller, if you haven't interviewed him already, might be uh, might be a really interesting one to have a chat to. And uh, if you could ask him about lead times on Prosecco Hoods while you've got him in the studio, that would be fantastic <laughs> on my behalf as well. Yeah, that's it. Well, I'll, we'll put that in as the first question. Cam Miller on. <laughs> Can you get Hoods in less than 12 weeks? That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, no, I really, really appreciate John, guys. Thanks for, thanks for that. I love your work. How good was that, everyone? If you have any feedback for us at The Ferment, please send us an email, theferment at brownfwg.com.au. Also, don't forget to check out our Tasting Note podcast. Thanks for listening to The Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there, chase hard, look out for each other.